Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're going to talk about animal welfare with two representatives of, of the Monroe County Humane Association, and we've got some other special guests with us in the studio. Joining us are Sarah Hayes, CEO of the Monroe County Humane Association, and Sarah Delone, who's the Education Program Director for the MCHA. And we also have, uh, sitting in a chair here in our studio, Journey, and we have two kittens <laughs> named Samantha and Obsidian. And we'll be uh, bringing Boris, an owl, out later on in the program. Today's show is different for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that uh, we're pre-recording it for Thanksgiving weekend, so you can't call in today. But you can check us out and actually see this program on (laughs) the web. We'll be posting the video on the WFIU website, wfiu.org slash noon. And we'll get maybe more details about that in a little bit. So uh, it's, a, it's a new experience for us and a new experience for Journey, who's getting a little restless, but not too much over there. But Sarah and Sarah, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks this, for having us. This yes, is uh, now that we're doing a little bit of uh, video, too. This is Sarah Hayes, Sarah DeLone. So... Um, why don't you introduce us to the animals? Tell us a little bit about uh, the ones who are out first. Talk about Journey. All right. Well, Journey is an eight-year-old German shepherd, and she is one of our first animal ambassadors that we've used at the Humane Association. She's been with me since I started in 2001 and does about 100 to 200 programs a year in the schools and around the community. She's also a registered Delta Society pet partner, which is a therapy animal Uh, group, part of our very important PAWS program. And as part of that volunteer work, she volunteers at Meadows Hospital and she volunteers at The Rise. So she does, she likes to stay busy in her spare time. She herds sheep and cows. In her spare time. In her spare time. Okay. So when you say she volunteers there, what does she do? She goes into facilities. She loves kids. So what she does is she goes – oh, she also volunteers at the library. Mm -hmm. She goes into facilities and visits with kids who are either in residential situations or areas where they can't have pets of their own. Mm -hmm. Or at the library, she goes in and kids read to her as part of our Animal Reading Friends program. Um, And she just has a special connection with kids and loves to be loved and loves to be cuddled. And she's very reliable and predictable, so she makes a a really good kid dog. She's a special hit at our preschool programs because a lot of times preschoolers are a little shy around big dogs. Mm -hmm. And although she's a German shepherd, she has a very good off switch. So with preschoolers, she just lies flat. And then we can talk about how to be gentle around dogs, how to respect animals. I think that's so important. So, and, and at, at times like that, do you take that opportunity to teach little ones how not to approach a dog Absolutely. and to ask the owner first? Whenever we have a dog with us at any program, we go over the basic dog safety rules um, when it is and is not appropriate to touch a dog. And also for slightly older kids, four to ten. Um, slightly older than the very young preschoolers. We have a great video that goes over a lot of those, and then we reinforce that with the hands-on interaction with the dogs. That's great. All right, so this may be a crushing blow to me, but is this Journey's first radio program? I hope so. I'm hoping so. It's not. Journey's been been on Spirit 95 before. She's been on WGCL. uh, She's a... Well-traveled dog. All right. But how about video? We're doing video today, yep. too. So. Okay. All right. But, but I know this one. Yes. Th- this, this one. one this is his first show. First, Little first Miss program. Samantha has never been in the public eye. And what is, right. what is Samantha's story? What's her background? She is actually a shelter kitty that will soon be up for adoption. And she's been part of the foster program for the last four months, which is a really important program that the shelter has, Mm -hmm. where volunteers in the community can get involved with caring for those animals that have a little bit special needs or need a little bit more time before they get adopted. And I was actually fortunate to be her foster mother. Um, She was actually found in a garage, but the friend that we have with her today was found under the seat of a van when they were just three days old. Mom had her babies under the seat of the van, left the car. Nobody could find mom. And so one of our old interns brought them to the shelter, gave them to Sarah, and she (laughs) called me. And they've been with me ever since. And I lost Obsidian, right? Yeah. Yeah. Obsidian was a... a, Obsidian was getting a little wild. Need a little time out. Journey will find her. Journey's coming over. She'll be back. Hi, Journey. All right. Okay. Now, Sarah... um, could you talk a, a little bit about the uh, the, the 
what's going on at the shelter. I know the MCHA has a connection with the, the shelter. It's sort of your base there right. and, and you do educational programs so you don't run the shelter or anything. Right. But um, what, kind of, what kind of traffic is going through the shelter now? Uh, as far as I can tell, <laughs> you know, adoptions are going well. Um, there are obviously still a lot of issues um, with overpopulation and just general education about what it means to have an animal and lifelong commitments and training issues and things like that. But the shelter is doing quite well and is actually um, one of the model shelters in the state, in my opinion. Um, I'm part of a new federation for the state that is an animal control and welfare organization. And we're really looking at the entire state and how we can elevate shelters and the animal welfare cause and all of that. And in my kind of travels and <laughs> seeing what's going on, I mean, Bloomington really is a standout, really is sheltering-wise, animal control, ordinances, that type of thing. Because we have 29 counties in Indiana that have no animal control, no shelter, very few ordinances. Mm-hmm. So we're, they're doing quite well. All right. Yeah. We're going to talk to, uh, to Journey a little bit more later, and we'll talk to Samantha and Obsidian a little bit more later, and we'll bring Boris out in a little bit. But I, but I want to go back to Sarah Hayes, CEO of the Monroe County Humane Association, and ask about uh, the, the different issues that you're involved with now. What are the key things you – know, what, what, what are your key messages, the things that you really hope that people know about animal welfare? Right. Well, I think one of the top priorities right now is legislation and the importance of being educated about how to lobby and getting the correct laws passed um, and that how important it is. Yes, we love to sit and talk about our cats and dogs and all that, but these laws really have so much impact on the ability of everyone who does this every day to prosecute abusers shut down puppy mills, those kind of things. So it's it's really important to us that we're educating the community about what the real issues are facing the animals. So Bloomington, like I said, has done a, a very good job taking care of the companion animal, the sheltering mm-hmm. aspect, building a good shelter, having high standards for that shelter. And now it's like, what's next? How do we further protect these animals? And dealing with overpopulation um, is one of them. Mm-hmm. But the laws are so incredibly important. You know, well, I just that Indiana is a farm state, and yeah. so we have kind of a, a legacy. I guess is she asleep? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, she's asleep. <laughs> um, a legacy of thinking of um, animals in, in terms of ownership and, and mm-hmm. almost, you know, a product, an agricultural product. Yeah. And so I think there's probably a, a kind of a bleed over then and, mm-hmm. and looking at other animals that way, um, especially things that are, you know, like cats have a job on the farm, but, you know, they're also, they also need to be cared for and tended to. Does, do you find that that's an issue that you're still confronting when you're Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. I mean, Indiana definitely is a rural ag state, Um, (laughs) no doubt about it. And that is a battle we face every day. And again, Bloomington, parts of Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, we're the little pockets of we we get it and we're working on it. But we face that every day that animals are property. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me what to do. I don't want any more laws, that type of thing. And Mm -hmm. it is. It's really hard. But that's why one of the cornerstones of our mission is to educate people because if they really understand how these things play in together, mm-hmm. you hope that they kind of get it and go, oh, okay, <laughs> we can do better. We can do better. And that's what it's about is incremental steps in the right direction. We're not trying to shut everybody down and make everybody a vegetarian or whatever, but we can do better. We mm-hmm. can of how we treat animals. Um, but it is. It's hard. It's hard, but that's why we have to rally together and those of us who get it do everything we can to educate others. Now, if this little kitten had not been found in the garage or its companion found under the seat of the van, there's a good chance that they could have turned into feral cats. Very easily. They they most likely would have turned into feral cats at that point. So I have a friend who works with feral cats. Um, is that something uh, that you all are involved in? I, I know that they are um, brought to a place to be um, um, neutered or spayed and then released back out to live their lives out in, in the elements because that's you know what they've become accustomed to and wouldn't ever be suitable for house cats. Do I have that right? Right. The issue with feral cats is they are domestic cats that have lived in the wild long enough so that they are no longer friendly to humans. Mm-hmm. And as more and more generations get born in the wild um, – 
the wilder they get. Mm -hmm. And most of these cats, unless they are pulled from a feral situation by the time they're about four or five weeks old, sometimes six or seven, then they will tend to have those feral tendencies and not make good pets. Um, Over the years, it's been found that feral cat colonies in some situations can be managed quite well. If you neuter everything there, um, eventually the older ones will die off and eventually a colony will weed itself down to nothing. It takes several years. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been times that have been found that if you remove feral cats from an area, others will just come in and repopulate that area. So a humane way to deal with feral cats, if there's a caregiver, if there's an organization that has a focus on spaying and neutering, making sure those cats have medical care, certainly not ideal. My pet cats are indoor cats. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen too many things happen getting out in the street, getting poisoned, getting attacked by other animals. It's not easy to be a feral cat, mm-hmm. but if, you know, one ends up that way, it's certainly in a much better situation if it's being fed, cared for, vaccinated, spayed and neutered. Um, and typically their ears, the very tip of their ears cut off during spay-neuter surgery, so it's under anesthesia. It doesn't mm-hmm. hurt them. But that way a feral cat can be identified as being one that's being cared for. Oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. there are so many thousands that are not being cared for. Okay. Well, see, so you've been saved from being coyote bait. <laughs> that's, right. All right. that's one way to put it. Yeah. You're listening to a special edition of, of Noon Edition today. We're pre-recording this for Thanksgiving, so you can't call in, but you uh, could watch us on uh, the web on WFIU.org uh, in a special video presentation of this show. We're talking today with Sarah Hayes, the CEO of Monroe County Humane Association, and Sarah Delone, the Education Program Director for the MCHA. Um, I want to ask about uh, how the economy affects mm. people who have animals and, and, and what kind of things, what kind of educational things the MCHA can do when the economy goes as bad as it does. Mm-hmm. And we do – this is a conversation I was having with the shelter director just yesterday mm-hmm. is that the shelter has a food pantry. Mm-hmm. So we have a pretty steady group of people who come in and get free food who can't afford, you know, down on hard times. Um, but we've seen a slight increase in people who are having a hard time. And so the MCHA does offer medical assistance to help get people – get their pets into the vet and hopefully keep them instead of relinquishing relinquishing them to the shelter. Um, But, you know, it's a matter of, you know, ask for assistance, see if we can help you out. We offer spay-neuter assistance as well, so if you have that type of thing going on. We also like to say, you know, don't take on animals that you can't care for. Mm -hmm. And And that's a holiday message as well. You know, animals as presents. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of times backfiring is not the way to go. So take on what you can, take care of your animals, ask for help from the Humane Association or the shelter if if you're having issues or might have to give them up. And spaying and neutering is one of the issues that Mm -hmm. MCHA is really involved with. And I've heard statistics before. Maybe one of you can sort of quote a few statistics, but it's an amazing, they're amazing numbers when there are animals that are unaltered that are out Mm -hmm. in the wild and, and how many more animals there are like a year later. So, right. Do you know any of those statistics? Sarah? Well, the statistics vary depending on on who's doing them, and you know some of them might be a little real unrealistic in the real world. But mathematically, um, a cat, one pair of cats within seven years could produce through their offspring and through generations about four hundred thousand. Ultimately, oh in seven gosh. years. Now, in reality, that's not going to happen. Yeah. But it gives you two hundred thousand exactly. Yeah. It gives you an idea of. The rate of multiplication that could happen given, you know, you start out with two and they have two litters a year of five or six kittens and it just kind of multiplies. And with dogs, the figure ends up to be more like 100,000, but yeah. um, it's still just a tremendous number of animals that can be produced. So whenever we can spay or neuter animals, um, you know, that's that's going to be the key to reducing the number of animals coming in the shelter. Yeah, and that's why when you, when you walk in the shelter, there are all the cages in the front office that have cats in them. And there are yeah. tons of them. Yep. I don't know how many they have out there. Laura, if Lori were here, I'm sure she could tell us exactly how many cats and dogs are out there. But Usually the shelter has between 250 and 400 in the system at any one point in time. 
Uh-huh. And at least 100 of those are in foster care. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. the spay-neuter uh, voucher program, is that mm-hmm. what? It's SNAP. SNAP. Yep. Yeah. Could yep. you talk a little bit about how that works? Sure. Uh, the spay-neuter assistance program is for low-income individuals who cannot pay need a little help getting their pets spayed or neutered. So people call into the MCHA and go through an application process. So we can have a conversation with them as well. What is their animal situation? Because a lot of times when we, once we start talking to them, we find out maybe they need more than one voucher. They've got a couple more animals. Mm-hmm. And so it gives us an opportunity to educate and really fix that problem that's going on. Because a lot of times people really mean well and they're taking in stray animals. Um, and they're afraid to ask for help or ask for more. So um, they go through the application process, and we award them vouchers that are good at a lot of the vets in town, and it reduces the cost of spaying and neutering. Mm-hmm. We also have a couple kind of spinoffs from that that are directly addressing some of the reasons we have so many animals at the shelter. One would be the litter relinquishment program. We do have a good number of people who regularly come to the shelter giving up litters of puppies and kittens. This is common. <laughs> this is very common. Mm-hmm. This goes back to the animals as property, the ag state, the that kind of mentality about it. They don't feel they should spay and neuter or they think that it changes the animal's behavior or in the male version, you know, they don't want to do that to their male dog. <laughs> Yet they keep having this problem of all of these puppies and kittens. And so if they come in and give up a litter and they've kind of repeat offenders, as we call them, Mm -hmm. um, we will completely pay for the surgery of the parent animals. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times we've successfully been able to get people to do that, to stop that cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been a good thing. Do you work with Pets Alive? Yes, absolutely. They do accept our vouchers. Mm -hmm. Uh Pets Alive has a spay-neuter clinic. Yes, they do. Yeah, I know. That male thing, you know, males and neutering, it's it's a tough hurdle to get over sometimes. (laughs) It is. Well, okay, so we'll have our little bit of humor here. We actually had, (laughs) and I'll keep it appropriate, but (laughs) we had a dog come into the shelter that had what they call neuticles. I mean, had been neutered, but had... Implants. implants. Implants put in. I love it. That's how Nudicles. deep. Nudicles. That's how deep it goes with some people. They just don't want to do that. It's mm. popular enough that there's a whole company just to deal with that, not oh, just with gosh. dogs, but with yes. cats, horses. They yep. come in all sizes. Yep. Who knew? I know. And trucks. Wow. I know. They I know. Yes. yes and they trucks. Do make Same wow. thing. This special Thanksgiving show is taking a, a very wide turn that I. <laughs> But what? this is the reality, though. It really is. And when we're looking at um, spay-neuter and dealing with the overpopulation crisis, because Indiana, if you look at all of the states, we're one of the worst states when it comes to overpopulation. It's out of control. It's out of control across the nation. But here we have a real, real problem. Um, so we really have to look at the issues why and try to take down those barriers to get the numbers under control. Right. You know, I know there are so many people who feel so strongly about animals and animal mm-hmm. welfare and, and mm-hmm. good care for all animals. And so whenever I talk to somebody who works with this, you know, day in and day out, and I know you see the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, what keeps you going through that door every day? You probably couldn't stop me if you tried. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's motivation to work harder and to do more and because you realize without groups like us and all the other people who love animals, they have nowhere else to turn. No one else is going to help them. Mm-hmm. So it is an immense responsibility and, and I love it. I mean, honestly, I do work a lot, but it doesn't seem like work to me. I feel very, very lucky to be able to do what I love. Sarah, um, what keeps you going through the door? And you, you know, not only go through the door, you've got them in your house. You, I do. You, you are <laughs> surrounded by animals 24-7, I know. I am, and actually that started when I was a wee little child. Um, my kindergarten teacher on my report card from kindergarten noted that I was going to work with animals when I grew oh up. Oh, my um, So everybody's always known that I would work with animals. I've always had a connection. But what I love about my job going out in the community, talking to people, teaching kids about animal welfare, is seeing the excitement, seeing their eyes light up when they see the animals, hearing their stories, but then meeting them later at the grocery store, meeting them, seeing their parents later and saying, hearing, oh, my child told me this, this, or this, Mm -hmm. or somebody calling the spay-neuter assistant line because their child heard at school that they could get help. 
or, you know, having kids come in um, and instead of asking for birthday gifts for themselves, mm-hmm. they ask for birthday gifts for the shelter animals. And that happens regularly, mm-hmm. that kids will take their entire birthday or Christmas or holiday gift supply and give it all to the shelter. So just seeing that kind of um, community spirit is just wonderful. I have to say for those uh, radio listeners who haven't uh, or, or who won't see this on online, Sarah's much better at talking with a cat in her hands than I was. <laughs> that's the same cat that escaped from me earlier. <laughs> but, but very good. I think my cat's asleep. Yeah, yeah. well, we're talking about, with uh, Sarah Hayes, CEO of Monroe County Humane Association, and Sarah Delone, Education Program Director for MCHA. Again, it's a special pre recorded program for the Thanksgiving weekend, so you can't call us. But uh, you will have the opportunity to see this show on uh, the WFIU website, site WFIU.org slash noon. I was kind of focused on my kitty a little earlier. So if, if we've covered this exactly, <laughs> please please let me know. But I wonder if it would be helpful to kind of um, delineate the lines of responsibilities between your organization and the shelter itself. Absolutely. We haven't d- discussed that. Okay, and it's so always I, good to I do I think that. I was yeah. in the kitten zen zone there yes, for a little while. Yes. So go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, well, I should say, you know, the MCHA is, what are we, 52 years old now? Um, and in the beginning, it was a group of community folks who cared about animals. And 50-some years ago, I mean, we were selling abandoned animals to research facilities, and the city didn't really have a shelter, and there were those kind of issues. And that's been the foundation of the MCHA, is being the voice for the animals and trying to progress um, to a better state for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and along the years, you know, the MCHA started the shelter, built several additions to the shelter. We had shared staff. The city over time got more and more involved um, until about six years ago, I think, <laughs> um, we added the adoption mm-hmm. center that's about right. to the mm-hmm. shelter. Um, and we raised the money for that, is, and the city chipped in money. And it really was a great opportunity. The shelter is in charge of animal control mm-hmm. and of managing the shelter. Okay. Uh, the MCHA, we are kind of the big picture, the advocacy arm, the fundraising for ourselves as well as the shelter. The, mm-hmm. uh, the shelter is funded by tax dollars. We are a nonprofit, so we raise everything that we have. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but we really are the animal welfare, the voice for the animals. And like I said, my view is really how can we strategically – address these issues so we can continually progress because mm-hmm. we are in a, in a better spot than most in the state right now, but there's still so much more that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. So we create programs that really solve solve the problems. So the very colorful um, posters with photographs of all the pets, that's something that you produce that we yes. see out in business places? And, yeah, yeah. Okay. Our volunteers do that for, for the shelter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those posters. We stop at those every time. We oh, pass gosh. Them. Yes, I have a cat right now as a result of one of those. <laughs> sweetie. There, there was uh, sweet or no, not actually. Sweetie's our relative, but uh, yeah. Maddie. Yeah, Maddie. It said the caption under Maddie was, I've been here a long time. Yeah. And my son saw that yeah. and uh, he said, well, we've got to go get that cat. Yeah, the posters are actually very effective. Um, we track each week how many animals from the poster have been adopted that week so we can let the volunteers know there's a group of about seven or eight volunteers who take the pictures, print the posters, deliver them it's at a 100 different work. locations yeah. Yeah. in the community. So each week our office manager sends out a tally. You know, nine dogs and four cats were adopted from the poster this week. Do you keep percentages on that or – you know, um, I don't think so. It's more of a casual thing. Yeah. Um, as far as what's on the poster, it's kind of a weekly thing. Yeah. But well, advertising the, pays exactly. Yeah. And the shelter does um, keep statistics on their animals of where they're all going and mm-hmm. how they came in and all of that. Yeah. One of the nice things I think uh, one of the good policies is if the adoption doesn't work out, you know, bring the animal back. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably makes people a little more willing to. To give it a try and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of fear. It's bringing home another family member. So it it's a big deal. It's a big commitment. Yeah. Yeah. We need to start talking more about dogs because Journey's fallen asleep. Right. Oh, <laughs> we bored her. Sorry, Journey. Journey. She says, you got me out we, for this? <laughs> you just joined us. We're talking with Sarah Hayes and Sarah DeLone from the Monroe County Humane Association. But we also have Journey, the German Shepherd, in the studio with us today. And we have two kittens. 
Obsidian, who is uh, walking around on the table and has just been drinking some water. And we also have Samantha that Mary Catherine just is holding in I'm, her arms. Some might say hogging. That's right. <laughs> you can't join us today because we this is a pre-recorded program for the holiday weekend. I want to talk about – there's many very serious issues in animal welfare and you mentioned a couple before. But let's talk about um, issues of, of puppy mills. Yes. That I know is one, one issue that you've been very interested in and working on. Yes, absolutely. Um, puppy mills are absolutely one of the biggest mass cruelties to animals that there is. And it's been going on forever. Uh, the Midwest is kind of the hotbed for it. Um, and it's it, it just – it needs to stop and it's cruel and it's inhumane and the current laws aren't strong enough to stop it. Um, and there's a whole chain of responsibilities there that are falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And, and why – I mean th- as you say, this has been going on a long time. Mm-hmm. And so you would think, gosh, can't we legislate our way out of this and, and then you know, give the, the uh, appropriate people the tools they need to enforce mm-hmm. this? What's, what's the holdup? What's the problem? Well, can I, before you do yeah. that, could I just ask for a definition? What's a define puppy mill? What would constitute a puppy mill versus somebody who may be a small breeder? Accurate. Well, a puppy mill would be a large scale commercial breeding facility. Mm -hmm. That's the best way that legislatively we would Mm -hmm. define it. Um, And every state is different with legislation that it may or may not have for even breeders, Mm because that's where most people are. They might have some language about breeders and how many animals and what, how many animals can you have before you have to be inspected, that type of thing. But uh, puppy mills, you know, there there are two different kinds, um, where there are some that sell directly to pet stores and brokers, and those have to be licensed and inspected by the USDA. And then there are those that are just selling to the general public or over the Internet. And currently, if they're doing that, they do not have to be inspected. Mm-hmm. But an issue that comes into play here is the USDA, um, that misleading stamp of approval sometimes that USDA means everything's fine and good. Well, the USDA doesn't have enough officers to inspect mm-hmm. all these places. Mm-hmm. There needs to be more you know, public outcry that the standards need to be upheld. Um, and they, they are upholding the Animal Welfare Act, which determines how much space and how much room. Um, but there are a lot of cases that those aren't being upheld, and some of it is just manpower. And, yeah, so, it's bad. And even so, there's nothing in that act or in that um, – in the USDA inspections that ever requires an animal ever be taken out of its cage, cage for ever. an entire life. Yeah. Um, and the regulation, I believe, is four inches above their head. They mm-hmm. have to have uh, – is it four or eight inches in front of – longer than their body length? I mean these yeah. are not what we would consider humane standards mm-hmm. even for what's considered acceptable uh-huh. under these mass breeding facilities. And in a mass breeding facility, how many animals might be there at one hundreds. time? Hundreds. Hundreds. Could be yeah. hundreds, could be more. Um, mm-hmm. And I, in fact, was involved in the Sullivan County puppy mm-hmm. mill mm-hmm. situation and I was out there and I saw it and it's horrible. It's mm-hmm. horrible. Uh, and that one we've been digging into, as have other groups, um, to find out that lots and lots of people have known about this woman and have reported her with things that would make her have to be licensed, to qualify to have to be licensed, and it's gone nowhere. Uh-huh. Gone so, right. yeah. So, is there any? Um, I don't know. I mean, does the rubber hit the road at any point on a, on a thing like that? Does anybody have to answer for that? That's what we're working. That's on. That's what we're working yeah. on, trying to make people accountable for it and, that's, and changing. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. yeah, and changing the legislation. I mean, that that's going to be the ultimate answer. So, the more people that are educated about the issues, um, the better, and the more that are willing to speak up. And we need people from all over the state and all over the country because there are national bills and there are state bills. Um, we need to let our legislators know it's important to us, and they need to do it. And in Indiana, in particular, being the ag state. Yeah, we're going to have to take a short break. uh, If you just joined us, you're listening to Noon Edition, and it's a special pre-recorded program, and we have quite a quite a cast here in the studio. Mm -hmm. I'll introduce them all after we get back out of our break. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. If you're a person on the go, you can take WFIU programs with you. We're podcasting. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer. Listen anytime from your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Movie Play and Opera Reviews. You can find out how with a visit to our website at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're talking about animal welfare with uh, Sarah Hayes, the CEO of the Monroe County Humane Association, and Sarah DeLone, the Education Program Director for the MCHA. We also have Journey with us who's uh, lying there sleeping. Journey's a German shepherd. Two kittens named uh, Samantha and Obsidian. And we've just been joined by Boris, a great horned owl. Sarah, you want to introduce uh, – give a yes. more proper introduction. Boris is a permanently injured great horned owl that's been working with the Monroe County Humane Association for about seven years. He actually was injured in a barn in northern Indiana. His parents raised their chicks in a barn. He suffered – um, a wing injury with some farm equipment. We're not sure exactly what happened. Um, but he is unable to fly and unable to care for himself. So the MCHA does have the the requisite state and federal permits that allow us to care for Boris. And since he is, as you can see, a very, very mellow owl, he's good for taking to education programs. Often children do not get to see wild animals mm-hmm. up close. And the connection... Um, and the empathy you can feel for these animals when you actually are near them and mm-hmm. and looking at them in in person, so to speak, mm-hmm. or an owl, um, is so much more than looking at a picture. Absolutely. Um, and so he's been able to to greet thousands of school children. Of course, they never get to touch him, but mm-hmm. he is quite comfortable in large groups, and I can walk right up to kids, and we can talk about all the unique things about not only owls but our local wildlife, any situations that we have, proper ways to deal with wildlife um, in your own backyard, mm-hmm. what what are good behaviors, what are not good behaviors. And there's so many things like that children need to know. I just Absolutely. think it's amazing. And then uh, to have Boris as the hook, so to speak, <laughs> is just fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about um – about his head. <laughs> and I, I have to say this because, bit. well, it's not freaking me out, but it's really interesting. And those of you who, who watch us on, on the webcast of this will get to see it. But, I mean, Boris just turned his head. He was looking at me and then he turned his head around and he's looking at Ariana and Mike who are in the back there in the control room and it kind of freaked them out, I, I think. I think that's <laughs> the first guest we've ever had with that ability. It's been his head quite so far. That's right. Well, he doesn't need an exorcism, but um, the owls have twice as many bones in their neck as we do. They have 14 bones, and they're put together a lot differently. His eyes actually take up two-thirds of the space in his skull, so there's no room for muscles to move those back and forth. So he has to be able to turn his head, and he can turn it 270 degrees, three-quarters of the way around, yes, he can. Um, without any trouble. And that just allows him to utilize his his huge eyes to to the best degree. Now, would he? What kind of hunting would he do? Is he a nocturnal? Fellow? He is. He's primarily a nocturnal hunter. Although he's awake almost always during the day when I go to see him in his enclosure, um, eats everything from rats and mice to skunks. It's one of the only animals that will eat a skunk. So their sense of smell is not very keen. Now, where do you get his? Food? <laughs> um, actually, most of his food is donated. Um, to us from IU Lab Animal Resources, animals that would otherwise go to waste. Um, we, we're able to kind of use them. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
All right. And then you say his enclosure, does he live outdoors? He or? does. We actually, as part of our permitting process to care for birds of prey, we built a 20 by 12 foot building that has part of its roof, part of its um, mesh. It's, it's wind, wind breaks all around. Um, since he has no flight ca- capabilities, his enclosure that he stays in is 8 by 12 with a 9-foot ceiling. He has perches all up and down and ramps so he can climb up to where he wants to go. And then the other bird we care for has a, has a larger area since she is partially flighted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, he just really looked kind of longingly at this kitten. Uh, am I... <laughs> well, Boris is pretty well fed, so okay, right. um, I don't think Samantha has a lot to worry about. All right. About. Well, I think, I, and, and, yeah, he's just kind of looking, I guess. Yep, he's just he, curious. He checks out everything. All right. Okay. Well, you're listening to Noon Edition, and this is a special Noon Edition, so you can watch what we're talking about uh, on the WFIU website, wfiu.org slash noon, if you want to check out... Um, what you've been listening to today, it'll be posted uh, pretty soon. I'm not sure exactly when, probably maybe tonight. I have to ask a little more about Boris and his diet because I think this is so interesting. Does he – do you feed him live food? Does he choose – does I he don't. prefer we, it that way? Um, we actually get all our food um, frozen uh-huh. and he does eat – where are you going, Boris? He does <laughs> eat whole animal food, so we feed him mice and rats. Okay. And typically he'll eat about three mice or half a rat a day. Okay. Um, that that is his that is his I got preferred a diet. Limit myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> He's just stunningly beautiful, though. He is. is he the largest? Native He's the owl? largest owl that we have in the Bloomington area all year round, and they're actually doing quite well in Bloomington. The great horned owl has such a diverse food source that um, they don't have any problems whatsoever. And we've actually heard other owls hooting right outside his enclosure, oh, so he does get to interact somewhat with the other wild owls that he need area. He's definitely not a pet. He's definitely a wild wild animal and knows it. Wow, that's amazing. So you said, I know you mentioned this number, but how many different visits to schools do you do with Usually Boris? between uh, 150 and 200 a year. Uh-huh. And it's very, very rare that um, we go to a program without an animal ambassador. Uh-huh. Um, it actually helps us a lot of times to get that that foothold into the classroom. Um, if we're bringing an animal, we can get in there and then we can express all our messages and get everything across. Whereas if we didn't have trained animal ambassadors, a lot of times um, somehow there wouldn't be room in the curriculum for us. But yeah. mm-hmm. with the animals to help us get in the door, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Now, what do you t- and it, helped, also, it helped you get on Noon Edition today. There you yeah. go. <laughs> we also provide all the schools with free programming because we don't want it to be an elite thing. We want any school in any classroom to be able to have humane education programming. So with our donors, you know, they make it so that we can offer those programs for And free. how many different ambassadors do you have? Animal ambassadors? Uh, we have two birds of prey, mm-hmm. two snakes, two rats, a ferret, Two dogs, a bunny, mm-hmm. and generally foster kittens when I have them go on programs. Uh-huh. And we have one cat that, that, that goes on programs occasionally, but he's kind of outgrown that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when, when you take Boris into the classroom, what, what's the biggest question you get from the kids? They usually ask about his eyes okay. mm-hmm. um, or about his head turning. Head those are, okay, you know, you hit it right on I'm the head. Right those are, those are some of the big ones. <laughs> and then they do express the fact – <laughs> they do express that they would love to have him as a pet, which mm-hmm. gives us a really good um, segue into why wild animals are not good pets, why we don't keep them as pets, that the only reason we have this bird is because he is injured, that I would much prefer him to be out in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um, we make that very clear in all of our program because we don't want our programs to encourage people to have inappropriate companions. Right. Now, do you send the children home or, or make available information on good pets and bad pets? Absolutely. It depends on the programs. We, we offer a wide variety of programs. And in a lot of them, you know, we talk about which pets are good pets. And um, for the younger kids, we have one called What's Wild that talks about the difference between domestic and wild animals. That's very important. And and we do have Kind News as well, which is a fantastic program um, where it's a $30 sponsorship or donation from someone and that provides an entire classroom with these really great 
it's monthly. Yeah, monthly, monthly newsletters. It's a four-page mm-hmm. color newspaper. Mm-hmm. I've seen it come out. home. Yeah, yeah. We, I've, yeah. I've, we've received it at yeah. our house. Yeah, oh. and it focuses on not just domestic animals, but people, mm-hmm. animals, and the environment. Yep. Um, and it's really the kids seem to love it. We have about a hundred classrooms participating. Get that every well, and I know that Boris month. has made a big impact. Um, again, because I have a, an eleven-year-old son, he's he's met Boris on more than one occasion um, through different involvements. And thank you for for being so active and going so many places. But and he does; he always has a, a story to tell me, or you know, Mom, did you know? And, and I think that it has um, really piqued his interest in in other kinds of birds. Mm-hmm. Um, Learning about owls, who then got interested in hawks. So right. it's it's amazing the ripple effect that the mm-hmm. these animals that you take out, the ambassador animals have. And we count on that the kids to take that home and talk to their parents. And so when we talk about how all the the shelter animals are spayed and neutered before they go home, mm-hmm. and I'm always amazed at even the little kids how many of them know what spaying neutering is, mm-hmm. and that they just take it for granted that that's something that they need to do. And that wasn't always the case when we went out on programs. So So you do feel like you're making progress along those lines. Oh, that's great. That's got to be heartening. Definitely. Definitely. Well, we've got uh, 10 or 12 minutes left in the program. And I want to remind our listeners that that, uh, this is a pre-recorded program. So you can't call us with your questions and your comments. But you can watch this show on uh, WFIU dot org slash noon because we're uh, doing a, a special Thanksgiving weekend version and we're webcasting it so you'll be able to see the show. Can we talk uh, about the adoption process just a little tiny bit? Sure, if you want yeah, to. I just I think it's uh, having been through the process and you have too. Yes. What was your reaction to the process? It was very easy and uh, really a lot of fun and very um, fulfilling if I to use a, I don't know, maybe that's a too much of a word, but uh, we got two kittens, and you know, my my wife said, you know, I, I think I want to get a new kitten. That's what you can give me for my birthday. Mm-hmm. She said last year, and then she called me from the shelter. Said, I think I want two kittens. And <laughs> so by the time I got out there, she had three picked out, but we actually did wind up with just two, and uh, they've been they've been very good. They were you know they were spayed. They had their shots or whatever. They mm-hmm. had medical care and and, and they, chips. Mine had and chips. Yeah. They both had had microchips, so mm-hmm. uh, they don't go outside, but so I don't think they're going to get lost. But um, it was a very easy process, very inexpensive. There is a fee, but mm-hmm. it's uh, – how much is the fee? Do you guys it remember? It is – yeah, I did bring that sheet okay, with good. me. I thought you might ask that. Um, <laughs> dogs and cats under five years old, it's $75. Uh, dogs and cats five years and older, it's $55. Uh, and November is actually Adopt-A-Senior Pet Month, so the dogs and cats that are over five years old – uh, it's half price adoptions for them, mm-hmm. and that does include all of their shots, deworming, their heartworm tested, microchip, and their spayed and neutered. So, and all of that typically would cost about two hundred to two hundred and fifty dollars at a vet. That's a so, great point. Thank you for telling it's us. It's a that. when you get a free animal in the paper, you know you still have to go out get it spayed, neutered, get all its mm-hmm. shots, and it's actually going to end up costing more than a shelter animal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you won't have necessarily the assurances that come with some of the shelter animals i'll tell you one thing i want another thing i want to compliment you on is um they my our cat our shelter cat maddie came from the cat colony Mm -hmm. and so i spent several hours there just kind of greeting and getting to know all the cats and spending time with maddie trying to figure out okay you know what's this Mm -hmm. what's this cat's personality going to be like and um it was really nice to have that opportunity, and no one rushed me. Um, and then, you know, I went, I picked our son up from school and brought him. And um, so, you know, we all had a chance to spend a little time together before bringing this new family member home. And I just think that that's such a great opportunity for people. And mm-hmm. I would urge all of them, you know, anybody considering adopting a pet, go ahead and. You know, spend a little time with that animal, and you make it so easy because you have the facilities now to do that. So, yeah, that's yeah. what the adoption yeah. center is all about. It's a good yeah. thing, or not. I mean, we spent about five minutes, and you know, <laughs> you were, were sold. we were gone. You know, Roxy and Izzy were on our, their way home. Yeah. With us, so. Well, I must be more cautious. <laughs> it's a, like I said, the Bloomington Animal Shelter is really a great. A great, great place and a model for other communities because tied into all of this um, and and being responsible pet owners and treating animals with kindness and respect, 
Um, the shelter does a really good job of matching the right people to the right animal. They have programs such as Meet Your Match. They have the adoption mm-hmm. counselors, all of that to ensure that the best matches and decisions are being made so that animals stay in permanent homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the other thing that's interesting animal welfare tidbit is uh, our shelter is what's considered an open admittance shelter, meaning they take any animal from anywhere, any animal that shows up, they have to take it. And they do. They mm-hmm. do. Um, but what they're facing is, again, when we're in this situation where many surrounding counties don't have the kind of things that we do um, and the proactive programs uh, or animal control or a shelter, we're dealing with a lot of their animal animals from overflow. other counties. Yeah. 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 Now, so. I know that some puppies are um, – because other um, communities have been so successful in their spaying and neutering that mm-hmm. they actually – can use some puppies. And mm-hmm. so occasionally there are caravans of yes. puppies that go yes. places. Could you talk about that? Sure. Uh, there is the Canine Express. Um, and that is I run Yeah, that is run by Kathy Egan, who is a wonderful, wonderful woman who started this whole program. And they arrange volunteers and kind of a caravan. Uh, mm-hmm. And they take animals from various shelters throughout Indiana, mostly southern Indiana, and head out east where they've been more successful with better legislation, spay-neuter laws, that type of thing. And they get placed into shelters that they get adopted very quickly. And they make this trek about once a month. Wow. Yeah. And then now does does our shelter um, – or is it one of your goals to have it become a no-kill shelter at any point? I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> the no-kill debate, and it's a, a debate, it, the term no-kill can be very misleading. Um, we realistically, and everybody should look at it as everyone absolutely wants to be no-kill, but realistically, if we could say low-kill, that would maybe be a more realistic way of putting it because there are situations where an animal – behavior is is a problem. You know, mm-hmm. they're so aggressive, they, they could bite someone. You know, there are those situations or extreme illnesses that can't be treated mm-hmm. where it's more humane to put them down. Sure. And what comes in play and what's going on with this debate is a lot of people who maybe don't understand all of the facets of this say, I'm going to be a no-kill shelter. Well, that's great, and everybody wants to be no-kill, but there's so many animals in Indiana right now that one can be no-kill, but that means doors close when they're full. Mm-hmm. Where do the rest of the animals go? Well, right now they come to the city of Bloomington Animal Shelter. So it's it, you really have to look at all of it. And absolutely, we were working, working, working so hard to get to the point where we can very much be a low-kill shelter and really only dealing with, you know, mm-hmm. having to put down extreme cases where they can't be placed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and yeah, so it can be a little misleading of what no-kill really means. Exactly. Sure. We hope to eventually get to a point where we're no kill of adoptable, adoptable animals. animals. And, you know, you're always, no matter what situation you run into, you're always going to run into some animals that could be a public safety hazard mm-hmm. that are not adoptable for one reason or another. And it would actually be very irresponsible f- of the shelter to let those animals go out into the community. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things. But, you know, we still have a ways to go. And that's what we're working all together um, and working, doing work across the straight, a state and across the nation to try to get to the point where mm-hmm. all shelters can be no kill of adoptable animals. Yeah. Now, we've got about five minutes to go. So, Sarah, Sarah Delone, if you mm-hmm. could uh, make sure that we get Journey back up in a chair and, and Obsidian out because we want to have the animals out for the last few minutes of right. the show, of course. <laughs> and out, we put Boris away. And, and while she's doing that, Sarah um, – could you talk about other issues that that might be uh, coming up in the legislature or issues that are that Bloomington and Monroe County um, should be concerned about at this point in terms of animal welfare? Um, one of the biggest things is the current animal cruelty code in Indiana. Uh, there's not enough in it to be able to charge people who actually are abusing, neglecting animals. It's causing a lot of problems. Um, That is probably one of the biggest things that we can do going forward is lobbying to have that changed. So I have so many people, these horrible situations happen where someone's abusing or neglecting an animal. Officers have done their work and documented everything and followed the proper procedure, and they don't make it through court. Cases get dropped. They're not prosecuted, or if they do get prosecuted, it's a slap on the wrist. And it's really not helping because the officers Mm -hmm. do all that work, and they should be charged if there are laws. Mm -hmm. But with the holes in the neglect code right now, 
you know, the puppy mill in Sullivan County is a perfect example where just on cruelty and neglect, we should have been able to stop that Mm -hmm. because it is cruel and inhumane. And there were dogs suffering from all kinds of neglect and abuse issues, frankly. But because the law is has so many holes the way it's written right Mm -hmm. now, basically all that's required is food, water and shelter. And, so. and really, to, to do effective lobbying, you need somebody who's in the state house on mm-hmm. a regular basis, and mm-hmm. that you have to pay somebody to do that. So, does the State Humane Association? I want to make sure I get this right because I always. <laughs> <laughs> say that, but do, do you have someone that you have at the state house helping you with these? There's issues? actually we're very lucky. Uh, the Humane Society of the United States has been working on placing people in each state, and so there's a state director for Indiana, and her name is Ann Sterling, and she actually lives here in Bloomington. So we're very lucky because that is the main goal of her job. So. She's up doing that, and we do everything we can to pass that on to our constituents to educate them and then get them calling their legislators. So we do have a person that we're working with, and it's it's great because that's really where we're going to most effectively and quickly change things for the animals. That's okay, cool. two minutes to go. What's we haven't your, what's let your... Journey speak yet. No, oh, Journey has. Well, Journey, Journey needs to say something. To say. Yeah. Do you have something to add, Journey? Yeah. Well, while he's thinking about what he wants to say, <laughs> while, while Jenny's thinking about what, you know, what to say, Sarah. He says, what, I want that Sarah, treat. Sarah, what's your, what's your holiday wish for, from uh, Bloomington? What could Bloomington give you for a holiday gift? Uh, Not you personally. You know, no, no. <laughs> um, you know, adopting an animal mm-hmm. would be one. Donations to the Humane <laughs> Association are always needed. Economy is tough. So much is happening in animal welfare, and, and, you know, we do feel the pinch. So giving what you can to us uh, financially always helps. But, you know, people taking care of their animals and, and, mm-hmm. and educating other people about taking care of their animals and being humane and compassionate, I mean, that's the best thing that any of us can do. Any fundraisers coming up? We are in the middle of a humane holiday fund drive, so people can visit our website, which is MonroeHumane.org, and make donations that way. There's also the pet supply drive. Mm. And in our efforts of supporting the shelter, uh, we collect donations of needed supplies and food from the community. So that's always always needed to keep the shelter animals taken care of and happy. Do you have okay. a list of things that are needed on your website? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yes, right. we do. <laughs> we'll have to go, to, go to that website because we are out of time. And I want to thank Sarah Hayes and Sarah Delone for being here. And I want to thank Journey and Boris and Samantha and Obsidian. And uh, if, you have, if you've heard the program, you can check it out on WFIU.org slash noon and see what we've been doing today. Um, so for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Ariana Prothero and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.